0: Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits those failures, and those learnings, and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. On this episode, I chat with David Knockel. He's a close friend I've known since college. graduated with his master's in teaching from UNC Chapel Hill, and is now a history and economics teacher at a high school in Colorado. His passion for Roman history and the other subjects he teaches, paired with his unique teaching style, earn him being constantly touted as one of the best teachers in the state. I don't know about you, but it has been a long time since I was in high school. So on this episode, we chat about what high school is like today, the importance of pressure, and what Zach Efron and the ancient Romans have in common. Enjoy. Super excited to have David Knockle on the podcast today. David is affectionately known as Knockle because I had way too many David friends. So from here on out, he is going to be called Knockle. Knockle is funny, competitive, he's got a big heart, and I'm proud to call him a close friend. Knockle, welcome to the pod.
1: Thanks for having me on. Good to be here.
0: Awesome. And it's early for you. So I appreciate you getting up early. You got two little kids at home and a lovely wife that uh, I know are uh, missing your presence here. So, but excited to have you drop some knowledge bombs here for us. In order for people to get to know you, I want to ask a couple of get to know you questions. So we're going to start easy. Would you rather hike a mountain or hike in the jungle? Hike in the jungle. I don't like being cold interesting for someone who lives in denver Colorado. i just cannot stand being cold i'm going to the jungle baby all right you've been lucky enough to travel a decent amount of the world if you could live in one country that you don't live in today so you can't pick the united states Mm. what country would that be
1: i don't know i love aruba so much kelly and i went there for our, our honeymoon and then again for my birthday i think i'd have to go with aruba
0: i thought you would go italy
1: Italy is so fun. It's just too cluttered. Like, there's too much stuff going on in Italy. And Aruba is just like calm. I guess I don't get to live at an all inclusive resort necessarily, but I'm going to it. In my
0: hypothetical, I'm going to. <laughs> there you go. All right. If you could listen to only one musical artist or band for the next 10 oh. years, who are you listening to? Oh my gosh. That's a toss
1: up. It's some, oh my goodness. It's somewhere between Bieber. And Avicii, old school people, certainly. I think I have to go with Avicii on that one just because it doesn't feel necessarily like you're listening to the same song over and over again because you just got those beats going. I'm going to Avicii.
0: All right, lock it in. One of the coolest things about you that I like to tell people is that we met at the University of North Carolina. Go Freshman this. year, uh, we were in, yes, Go Heels. Freshman year, you're moving in and I'm just asking you some get to know you questions. So, you know, this comes full circle because I'm sitting here asking you, about to ask you a bunch of questions. Okay. So I'm doing that back in the day. I won't say how many years ago it was because that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> We're old. We're so old. I asked what you wanted to do. Like, what are you going to major in? What do you want to do? And you looked at me and you said, I want to be a 10th grade history teacher at Cherry Creek High School in Colorado. And David, tell the people what you are.
1: I'm a History teacher at a high school in Colorado. (laughs) I I taught tenth grade for about gosh eight eight years, I think. And so you're like the only
0: person in my life that, at the age of eighteen, knew exactly what they wanted to do and actually did it, and and are continuing to do it. So kudos to you for knowing what you wanted and and actually getting it. Thank you. Every teacher, most teachers, have to do student teaching, and prior to getting your teaching license or or certification. So you were no different. And I know you have some fun stories from that time. So what comes to mind?
1: Yeah, I got to do my, uh, my student teaching at Chapel Hill High because I stayed at Carolina to get my master's. I did my student teaching at Chapel Hill High. And one of the things that I did there was coach soccer, like just during the spring, got to coach girls soccer. And uh, I was working with the little, not the little kids, the freshmen, they're pretty tiny. Um, And this girl just ran up to me sobbing and you know, kind of clutching at her chest. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, Eileen, what's the matter? And she was sobbing and could not get it out. So I, you know, like kind of put my arm around. her. And I was like, what's wrong? You got to focus and tell me. And she's just trying to breathe and go, oh, the ball. And she said, the ball hit me right in my scrotum. <laughs> and I, this poor little girl, was just in so much pain and terrified because she couldn't catch her breath and all i could think about is this ball drilling this little girl right in her scrotum and so we had to talk about the difference between that and a sternum i think she was embarrassed enough that she forgot she couldn't catch her breath and we were all good to go
0: oh that's wonderful (laughs) well awesome well um hey before we get into more of your you know teaching and what that's been like and how things have shifted. And you are the person that I want to learn history from because I know you have so much passion behind what you teach. And a lot of it is around ancient Rome. And you've got a, a just a wonderful passion about you from that standpoint. So I know that that's going to come through. But first, I start with every guest and ask two questions. So the first one I want to ask is, how would you define a growth mindset?
1: I think a growth mindset is that a willingness to look at ourselves to examine ourselves realistically. Um, I think that there's like this current push to be happy with ourselves. And I think that's a really, really positive thing. I think it's great that we, you know, look inside and we're happy with who we are. But I think that's only fair if we, you know, are decent people and are doing things that we ought to be doing. And so I think that growth mindset is making sure that we actually look at ourselves to make sure that if I have good qualities, then absolutely I'm happy with those. And if I have negative or incomplete aspects to who I am that were, again, that willingness to address those issues and change them for the better.
0: So does that mean that you can't always be positive?
1: No. I, I, I don't think, I think we, I, th- I think you can always positively look at issues and look and you know look find that silver lining understand that bad things don't necessarily have to remain bad but i don't think there always has to be this positive feel to what we're looking at and that we have to understand that some things are bad and some things about us are bad and we need to be willing to change those and get away from those and address those
0: how would you define your why or your purpose in life?
1: I'm not a super spiritual person, so to me, there's no there's nowhere that I'm going after this, and so what I'm doing right now is what really matters. And I get my advice, I suppose, from the great Zac Efron in a High School Musical, and just the "we're all in this together" sort of mantra. And it's like, you know what? If we're all going to be here, we may as well be nice to each other. And so every morning when I, you know, putting Natalie. Was to those listening, my younger daughter or putting Natalie in the car or dropping a lease off at school, I give them each the same advice every single morning and I say, respect yourself, respect others, be kind, and try to learn something. And then we agree that that's what a great day looks like. Uh, and I guess that's kind of where I approach it from is that um, I feel like my purpose here is just you know to make what I have a little bit better, to be good to, to those around me and to see what I can get out of it while I help other people.
0: That's really cool. I really like what you said. It's, it's So respect yourself, respect others, be kind, and try and learn something. Yep. I've gotten to know you over the last, what, gosh, have we, how long have we known each other? 15 years? Oh, six, 15. Six, 16 yeah. years?
1: Yeah. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's about half of that our life. That is crazy. That yeah. is. That, that is insane. About half our life. And so when I met you, one of the, I mean, gosh, probably within the first month or two, you said, I love you to me. Like, like, man, I love you as a friend. And that hard to L. me, you dropped that hard L. And I was like, whoa. I came from a household that I was very loved, but it was not a lovey-dovey, I'm going to hug you, we're going to say I love you all the time. That was not the, the environment I grew up in. I knew I was loved, but it was not outward. And... I think you were really the first person that kind of forced it. I think a little bit. You were, you were kind of like it was like, "Hey, I don't care if you say it back. Like, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you how I feel. I'm going to love you and until you love I, me
1: back. Damn it!" Right?
0: The David <laughs> And, And but seriously, like I didn't appreciate it then. But I think as I grew older and I got more comfortable with that hard L and <laughs> I look back to what you did, you know, when we were 18, 19, 20 years old, and you were telling the, the people that you were closest with our friend group that you loved them. Like if you were going to go home over a break, you know, you would tell us that you loved us. And for me, that was like uncomfortable at that time. Cause I just, I didn't grow up with that. I was like, that's great, man. But dude, like let's just like high five. <laughs> do touch know, me. You know? <laughs> So I'm, I, so I, you know, I say it like semi-jokingly, but it was a weird dynamic at the beginning, but I look back on it. I'm so grateful for it because you're one of the reasons why I can, or I think why I started being more comfortable with that L word, but why was that such a natural thing for you?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I grew up a lot with that. Like my dad, every time we would go to bed would just say, now you never forget your dad loves you forever and ever. And I, so I think he kind of got me into that mindset. And then, uh, unfortunately I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of it is motivated by fear. So I grew up in Colorado and I still remember pretty vividly when the Columbine high school shooting took place. And I remember getting home from school that day. It was just the weirdest day. Cause like we knew what was going, we knew what was going on, but didn't like really know what was going on. Didn't know where the shooters were, blah, blah, blah. And I still remember getting home from that day. And my mom just like grabbed me and yanked me into the house and gave me a big hug. And just thinking when all all the stuff came out about what those kids had gone through and the kids who had died, I just started thinking about some of the stupid fights I get in with people and like just how you treat other people. And I was like, well, what if the last thing that you say to somebody is negative, like to this person who you love, like if I yelled at my mom because she didn't send me what I wanted with lunch. Like that's this terrifying idea that the last thing I'm ever going to say to her is I wanted Oreos, damn it. And so from that moment on, I kind of decided that I'm always going to end conversations with, I love you. So if my wife and I are squabbling or my parents and I are bickering, there's just like understood. I'm, you know, I still have the right to be pissed off at you, but that doesn't mean that I don't love you. Um, And so I always make sure that the last thing that people hear from me in case it's the last thing people hear from me is that I value them and that I love them.
0: Columbine was April of 99. So that means that we were in fifth grade. Yeah. Wow. So that's an interesting realization to have as a, what, 11 year old.
1: Like I got held back a few times. So I was probably like 16, but yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's interesting. So you've been that way since that time. Yeah. And Columbine wasn't too far from the school you were at, right? No, it's probably like what 10 ish miles down one of our highways. Man, that had to be so tough as a 11 year old.
1: It was terrifying. It was just so, such a weird, weird experience. And and I guess luckily it was the first one. And unfortunately it's become more and more commonplace. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it kind of transitions us into I know you and I've talked about this before is when you got into it a little bit around the kind of a positive mindset and how you view life around being positive. And you've said before that we always have a choice about how we react to a situation. Mm -hmm. And you kind of had a choice in that as a fifth grader, you said I can react completely negatively and hole up and not want to go back to school or, you know, be scared, but you kind of framed it in a different way. So, you know, what do you say about, about us always having a choice about how we react?
1: Well, I think that it's a given that, literally every single day, something crappy is going to happen to you. Whether it's, I was talking to Clay before we started this, that I came downstairs and I bashed not one, but two of my feet on these weights that I was lifting. And I I think that there's, there's too often this default to focusing on these things that suck. And I can just say, well, I've already stubbed both of my toes this morning. Like literally this day is just going to be the worst. Or you, you know, you have the right to say, I have, you know, I I bashed my toes on these weights, but that means I can afford weights. I'm in a basement in this house that I love. And we always have this option of looking at the positive aspects of our life. And regardless of whether bad things happen to us in a day, a day can still be really, really great. And I, I this is something that I harp with my high schoolers on all the time, is like bad grades are gonna happen, and that girl is gonna dump you and you're gonna get rejected from prom. But life is awesome. And <clears throat> we get to decide every day, whether we're going to focus on the good things or whether we're going to let the, the bad things in our life bring us down. And I just think that those, those kids and the people around you who can focus on the positive, obviously have better lives, but then they can help the people around them have better lives as well. I think we always have that choice of what we're going to pay attention to and what we're going to let define our days. And there are so many positive things. And I don't know when I think about like, I'm a Kind of a gambling degenerate and I, I kind of think of that in terms of gambling like you can focus on your losses and you can watch ten dollars tick away and then 10 and then fifty and whatever and you can get upset about that but you also have to remember that you win sometimes and I feel like we have this tendency to focus way too much way too much on our losses rather than on our wins uh but if you're gonna If you're going to focus on little aspects, you got to weigh them at least equally and appreciate the good things that come your way.
0: So two very serious questions. One, the weight that you hit, was it a two and a half pounder or was it the three pounder?
1: Uh, It was the three pounder because I was doing my
0: buys. Right. Yep. Yep, yep. (laughs) As I said, ladies and gentlemen, he's a hilarious guy. Yeah. And hysterical. The... (laughs) When you see a student that may focus on those negative things, what do you say to them? Like how do you get them to start thinking about those positive things?
1: I try I honestly just try to have them tell me about what else has gone on in their day and like I don't know, it depends on what the negative thing is. If it's a neg- like if it's a bad test that I hand back and this you know kid who had a 92 going into it is now down to an 88 and is devastated because now I'm not going to get into Harvard and my life is ruined. That's a hard conversation to have. Um, but if it's if it's a test or sorry, if it's a homework grade or something like that, it's like, dude, this is a 10-point assignment. You have a thousand points coming into your gradebook, and you just missed four of them. Like, I understand that it's gonna be a D in the gradebook, and you're not used to that because you're a smart person, you're taking a hard class, but it's just not that big of a deal. And I just think I, t- I try to put it into this context where kids need to understand that that grade isn't the be all end all in my class, my class or end all be all the, my class isn't the end all be all for their lives. Um, and just try to put it in, into perspective that these bad things are going to go away, that you're not even going to remember the name of half of the girls that dump you uh, and just letting kids know that life's going to go on way past high school and they can't let these things destroy them.
0: Yeah, that gets into that concept of the significance of an issue is just completely different based on where you are in your life. Absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to reach back into high school and think about almost any of the grades that I got or the you know silly little arguments. And it's, I mean, they're so fleeting now. And I recognize that some of those were growth moments and I built off of those. But at the same time, I I definitely took them as this is the end of the world, or this is, you know, my life is ruined. And I look back and I think, man, it really just wasn't that important.
1: It's just not that important. And it, like it is, and, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure. And But just this idea that high school is really, really important when you're in high school. And I, I certainly never want to poo-poo these kids because it's a freaking hard time. And I cannot imagine being a high schooler right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when we're talking about grades and SAT scores and blah, blah, blah. And the kids always ask me what my grades were, what my SAT and ACT scores were. And I'm just like, guys, I was like literally decades ago. I like, I have no clue what my grades were in high school because it doesn't matter
0: at all. I'm 16 years removed, 17 years removed from high school. I don't have kids in high school you know, none of my cousins or anything like I'm, I'm, I'm completely removed from high school. You see it every day. And I imagine that there's many people that are listening that are also completely removed from high school. They don't have kids in high school. They haven't been in high school in a long time. So like, what is high school like now? Oh, it's, it is
1: so it's the same and it's just completely different. Same in the sense that, you know, it's still hormonal, you know, tryhards who are far more concerned with their friends than actually being in class. But at the same time, I mean, the high school that I work at is filled with lots and lots of pretty dang motivated kids. Uh, And I mean, over half the classes that I teach are these AP level classes that kids really clearly want to succeed in, and they're willing to work really, really hard. So I think it's a lot of it's a lot of the same, but at the same time, just relative to when we were there, there's just so much going on. Like, so I can't even begin to describe to you how much I hate the advent of social media, and what when I look at what Instagram does to these kids and Twitter, and just the comments that kids can make, it's so savage. But so social media has had a profound effect on how these kids view high school and how they view life in general. Uh, but I can't. It must be so hard growing up in this, like, weird, especially this COVID, like, remote learning, hybrid learning, whatever, these last five or so years. But it's still the same kids. It's just now we have far different levels, uh, I think, of rigor than we used to, different levels of responsibility than we used to.
0: I want to get into the rigor and responsibilities, but I'm going to bookmark that. The, The social media aspect is interesting because I mean, social media wasn't a thing when we were in high school. You see the the reports and the studies and things about how, you know, how detrimental it is, especially to a 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. But what do you see from a teacher perspective?
1: Yeah, so I got a really cool perspective from a kid who graduated last year, actually. And he came back and he and I just chatted for a bit because he was interviewing for a job somewhere and needed a letter of rec. But he was talking about his college experience right now. And these kids post all these, you know, pictures of them partying, pictures of them having this awesome time. And so I asked him, he's at Wisconsin right now. So, you know, fun place to be at. Uh, And I was just like, dude, are you having the time of your life? He's like, it kind of sucks, to be honest. I was like, what? And he said that that's the whole trend of the freshman right now is that it kind of sucks to be in college right now. And I just think back to my freshman year and it was, I cannot imagine having more fun than we did freshman year. I just got the vibe that that's the experience that these kids were having because you see the pictures and they're posting and they're having a great time. He's like, yeah, we don't really talk to anybody. We hang out by ourselves. And of course we post those pictures, right? Because we only have to have that experience one time out of, you know, two and a half weeks or whatever. And then we post it. And I, I just think that what these kids what they totally get and what they absolutely don't get is that you only post these positive things on Instagram. Like I'll take 79 pictures of my little girls and only in one of them are both of their eyes open and both of them smiling. And then of course, that's the one that I'm going to end up posting. And I just don't think that, I think they do, but I also think they very much don't get that everybody's taking 79 pictures and we're only posting that one awesome one. I don't post the pictures of me being, you know, secluded in my dorm room because my college just got shut down again. I don't, nobody brags about all the colleges that they get rejected from. And these kids are just so desirous to get into these good schools. And then I post, you know, Hey, I got into, you know, wash you or whatever. I don't let everybody know that I also got rejected from BC and from Harvard and from Stanford and from Princeton and from whatever. And these kids just think that everybody around them is doing really, really, really well. They don't get that everybody's in that same boat of hard stuff, along with that kid.
0: And that sucks. I hate to hear that an 18 year old is having a crappy time in college. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: I, I just cannot imagine it. Like my, actually, all, oh my God, I just loved Carolina. All five years that I spent at Carolina were just epic, just so much fun.
0: It just hurts to hear that that's not, that they can't, that they're not having that. Now, do you think that goes back to what you said earlier around, you know, hey, you can be kicked down and you could have a negative time and then you can either, you could decide, do I want to turn this into a positive or do I want to wallow in it?
1: Yeah, I definitely do. And yeah, so this kid who said that he's not that wallower, I think he gave me a pretty fair perspective on things are difficult, but I I don't know, I think one of my critiques about this upcoming generation is that ability to kind of roll with the punches, and I think a lot of that, a lot of the blame falls to us, to their parents, and to the, you know, even the older generations, and that idea of, it comes from kindness. I think we want to protect these kids, and we want to make sure everything goes well for them. Unfortunately, when you only protect and you only make sure things are going well, that prevents people from learning how to deal with issues when they actually do arise. And I think that that does kind of kick kids in their ass sometimes when they get out from under mommy and daddy's what have become very, very protective wings uh, and have to experience some of that for the first time.
0: Yeah. So do you feel like in the last 10 years that that has gotten worse?
1: The inability to cope? Yeah. Yes. Billion percent. And again, I don't, know that it's fair to judge this generation. I think that they have way more to cope with than we can imagine. Well it's put in front of their face. Right. It's way more often. 24 than it 7, me. just shoved right there. I know the instant I mean, I'm I know kids talked all sorts of crap about me in high school, but I had no idea what they're saying because they do it at the parties that I didn't get invited to. But now it's like, hey, let's not invite this kid to the party and let's say some nasty things about him that we know he's gonna see online. And that I, I could it's just so hard. It's so sad to to see. Yeah,
0: and you can see how a seventeen year old could see that hold up in their room, right. and Wallow in it. Yep, and absolutely. Like I, I'm just, yeah. I'm gonna. I hate myself. I'm not gonna come out. And I can't even imagine how difficult that would have been. I mean, I think back to, you know, the couple times I was bullied as a kid, and how difficult that was for me. And that was only in person bullying, right? You know, that was it, and that was all I had to deal with. And how much of an effect that had on me. So I can only imagine when you can see it all the time and you can go back and watch it or read it all like anytime you can like
1: just keep of, accessing like, it.
0: Yeah, exactly. You have unlimited access to it and just go deeper and deeper into that hole. And I just, uh, yeah, I can't imagine, but I'm, I'm thinking as a parent, right? I've got two little kids. So from your point of view, what do I do? Like how do, how do I make sure that, you know, that they can rebound from stuff like that.
1: I'm going to be in the exact same boat of protection because I, I guess I see firsthand that there's no way I want anything bad to ever happen to my little girls. Uh, and it's so hard, but at the same time, like if I could just, I, I love how much parents care about their kids and we see it all the time at our school, parents intervening on behalf of their kids, making sure things go well, uh, for their kids, I guess, The number one advice to parents, though, is at some point you just need to kind of F off, you know, and it's like kids need to have kids need to start dealing with their issues. I'll still get emails from parents of 17 and 18 year olds for why so and so didn't turn in his homework assignment. And it's like, hey, you know, he can have that conversation with me. Right. And he needs to figure out how to send that email because in two years when he doesn't turn in his homework and you email his professor. I can guarantee you his professor does not give a crap about what you have to say. And these kids need to learn it at some point. So I, yeah, I mean, parents need to be involved. It's on the flip side. My wife works at a school where there's just so little parent involvement and it's just devastating to think about kids not getting the help that they need at home, the support they need at home, learning as they need to be doing at home as well. Um, It's just that fine, that fine line that I, and I'm definitely going to struggle balancing as my little girls grow up because I'm going to want to protect them and you better not break their hearts or else you're going to answer to daddy. <laughs> but at the same time, you need to have your heart broken. Like so much of my growth has come from that hardship and from devastation. And you just got to be able to cope with it at some point.
0: Yeah, it's so true. That's, I mean, growth comes when you're uncomfortable. And yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of parents and I, you know, I don't want my kids to be uncomfortable, but you're right. At some point they got to be uncomfortable because they got to learn how to, how to be uncomfortable because they're not going to grow unless they're uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. Now le- let me say something to defend this generation as well. so I do think that they are just kind of pansies with how they deal with stuff. I'll, I'm, I'm clear about that. I tell them about that. They are also kind of back to like how high schools changed. They are so much nicer. And I know that that completely goes against what I just said, but the the kindness that I see at high school is another thing that I just absolutely cannot imagine seeing when I was in high school. Just the interactions between different, clearly different groups of people, like the, I guess the, the caste system, those, those niches still very much exist of the jocks, the cool kids, the cheerleaders, the dorks, the dweebs, the whatevers but in my i guess when we were in high school i feel like that those were really strict and you don't act, interact with any of the other classes and that that has largely gone away and i don't, obviously i don't know what goes on on the weekends or whatever but in my classes and in the hallways you see just all of these different kids interacting with one another and really kindly and one of the coolest things that has changed again so significantly from when we were in school i feel like is the kids in what we call student achievement services so kids with like special needs Everybody wants to be a part of making sure that kids with disabilities, Down syndrome, whatever, have a, a cool role in our school. And what's awesome about it is that it looks like it's a genuine sort of kindness and a genuine desire to interact. And so like the unified sports programs at our school are hugely popular among the kids. Um, and I feel like they do it out of the goodness of their heart. I feel like a lot of kids who I think back who were involved in stuff like that did so just, you know, to get it on their, their college, uh, college resume. And, uh, there's just none of that. Like it's just such this genuine happiness to be helping out other people. Um, so as much grief as I do give some of these kids, they are also pretty awesome in their desire to be kind. And I do think make the world a happier, more inclusive, better sort of place.
0: Yeah, I mean, it kind of gets back to your purpose around that, hey, we're all in this together. And it seems like that this generation has a more inclusive, and I'm not surprised to hear this, but a more inclusive approach to how they treat others.
1: Yeah, and definitely. And and social media, as terrible as it is, is also awesome in its ability to unite people and as much as it can divide us, bring us together as well.
0: What attributes are you most proud or excited to see in students?
1: Probably just still taking responsibility for their actions, both positive and negative. Like, get, I mean, I can't tell you what has happened with homework policies and letting kids turn in stuff late and just excuses and absolving kids of most of the things that they have to do and just the lack of responsibility on that side. So when you see a kid actually getting his stuff done and turned in on time It's really, really cool. But then even better than that is when kids actually take responsibility for their screw-ups. And if they bomb a test, there are kind of two easy places to place blame. One is that I didn't do a good job teaching. And two is that, hey, I didn't study hard enough. Uh, I could have done more. And obviously, I would never not do a good job teaching something. (laughs) Um, Of course. (laughs) No, but, but when a kid is just like, dang, I screwed that test up royally. What do I need to do to study better next time? And immediately saying, hey, I I did something that I shouldn't have done or I didn't do something that I should have done. Can you help me get to this point where I'm going to be able to take care of that next time? That is a really, really cool thing for me to see.
0: Is that an outlier, that type of student?
1: No, and I, it, I don't think it is. Um, and again, it gets to this like I could – I can teach. I have about 150 kids that I teach each day. And I have, you know, every day two kids who are that obnoxious. What are you going to do to make my life better? Whereas I have 148 kids who are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And I feel like a lot of teachers come back to their offices or go back to their people and report that day that, like, oh my gosh, you should hear these kids. And they're just so obnoxious. Whereas, kind of back to focusing on the good, the vast majority of these kids probably are actually pretty dang good kids at doing what they're supposed to do and trying to grow. So I I don't think it's the outlier. I think it gets reported as the outlier, but I think most of these kids are good. We just sometimes focus too much on the things that drive us crazy.
0: I'm just thinking about if I was in a 150-person business meeting (laughs) and if if there were only two people. That were you know slacking off or you know not being not having a positive mindset that would be a win in adult world. So the fact that you're in teenager world and <laughs> have two out of one fifty, I, I think you've got a pretty much of a win there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right.
0: I have an awesome. I love my job. It is
1: pretty cool to work with these kids.
0: What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student that's about to enter the real world? So advance, you know, your kids four years what advice are you giving them
1: Yeah and I think I give the same adv- I would give the same advice to my advanced kids to my CP level kids to my kid who's not even going to go to college you know And this is that obnoxious fatherly sort of advice Make sure that you in 15 years that you are proud of the person that you are now And I think that that's just for everybody And I mean that's spoken from a dude who I have screwed up pretty royally a few times in my life and done things that I'm very much not proud of. So it's obnoxious to, you know, get to say that and everybody gets to go through life and screw up. But just remember that like, at the end of the day, the only, to me, at least in my opinion, the only person who you really have to answer to is yourself. And uh, that it certainly doesn't mean being perfect, but it means having the right motivation and making sure when you're making decisions that you can justify the, them to yourself and that you can sleep at night knowing that you... You've been a good person and that's hard for high schoolers. And I've screwed up so many times in my life and done some pretty crappy crap that I wish I hadn't done. And I guess now I just want to tell these kids, Hey, don't do that crappy crap because you're going to wish you hadn't.
0: But life's full of that stuff to your point earlier. And you're always, it's, it's about how you, how do you, do you take responsibility? Like you go do crappy crap, you're going to take responsibility are you going to say that you're sorry and you know, how much are you going to wallow in it versus try to be better and try to be like, okay, why did I do that? And what am I going to go change so that I don't do that again? And I don't hurt someone or something or myself.
1: Why did um, I kick that ball so hard after I dropped it? And do I recognize that we got a 15 yard penalty and how do I make sure that we don't get a 15 yard penalty in the future?
0: Sorry. That was only the semifinal of a important flag football game. You know what though, back to your significance, like, how actually significant was that? Right.
1: We, we didn't get another t-shirt. We have a lot
0: to anybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> and those are significant. Don't those don't are, significant. those are awesome. <laughs> don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's, it's an interesting view into high school because, I again, I, I know that there's many listeners out there who don't know what it's like. And so your perspective is, is super interesting. Do you feel like that your perspective is unique within your profession?
1: I don't know. I do think I have probably a more positive output or outlook than a lot of the people who I work with. I mean, I think our profession right now, kind of like everybody's, there's like, it's just weird how discontented people currently are. I saw a study, I hope it's not accurate, but I saw something a couple months ago that said somewhere along the lines, like 25% of teachers are considering leaving the profession in the next year which is terrifying to think about on so many levels. And I so I do think that people are sick and tired of it because we have transitioned from, you know, when I signed up for this job and I feel like the teachers that I had, despite I had good relationships with my teachers, but they were at their core people who were supposed to present me with content, people who were supposed to inform me about this subject that they knew a lot about and that role that teachers has or that teachers have has morphed significantly, especially in the last few years to, you know, we have to be basically kids counselors. Now we have to know how to respond when there's a shooting on campus. We have like, there's just so many things that we have to do now that it's like, wait, 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 I signed up to tell kids about Roman history, not do any of this crap. The more stuff get that gets piled on, the easier it is to, look at those things that we don't like and i think a lot of people are starting to focus more on those things that we don't like and the conversations that i have like in my office is always like if you could put me just in my classroom every day and i didn't have to deal with parents and i didn't have to fill out this paperwork and i didn't have to deal with all this i could do it forever because it is so fun like almost like everybody who i can think of who i work with got into the profession because we like working with kids and we love this stuff that we're talking about but i do think that As more stuff comes on outside of the classroom, it gets easier to focus on the bad things that happen in classroom as well. And I feel like I have a pretty good outlook on it, but I don't.
0: And that study, I mean, it has to do, I imagine that COVID had a huge impact.
1: Oh, yeah. The the last year, I mean, so 20, what was it? 2020, 2021 school year, we had, I think, something like 11 different bell schedules or bell calendars throughout the year. And that just drove so many people crazy. I didn't really care about it. I I kind of just was like, all right, we'll do this next one and just not get used to it. But that, I think that was really hard. The remote learning, it was super hard on kids. It was hard on teachers as well. Um, It's just this different, again, this different thing that we didn't sign up for. And no, obviously nobody signed up for what's happened in the last couple of years. It's just been tough.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing it in our, in our industry in the tech industry and in sales, it's, you know, they've called it the great recession where, everyone's kind of woke to whatever their new priorities are, what they want in life, not going to put up with you know certain things that they don't feel like that they need to. And it kind of sounds, it, and it stinks because it, in my job, look, I'm, we're not affecting kids lives for the most part. We're selling to other corporations and, you know, on the capitalist front, but the, a job like a teacher, when you have people start to think, wait I don't need to I don't want to put up with this or this is just too much this is you're you're impacting like future generations by not having teachers like yourself who are passionate about their subject and got into it to your point for the love of teaching kids and for the love of the subject and if you have that portion of those people leaving you're gonna have to backfill it with other people that have that same passion and that seems daunting
1: yeah yeah absolutely I very much hope that, that 25% is way off. Because if you think of hiring a quarter of the teaching staff, that uh, it's scary to think about what you end up hiring it with.
0: Yeah, and the increased responsibility along the way for the teachers that stay. But, right. Which then it just becomes this perpetual cycle of, oh, I'm getting increased responsibility. More and more of my responsibility is removed from the classroom. And now I'm doing more things I don't want to do. And then that's going to make push even 75%, more 75%. Yeah. They're going to push more people out. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's hard. I don't know. The whole, I have such a hard time deciding even how I feel about this whole, like, you, what did you just say? Woke to what I am and am not willing to put up with and people realizing like what's important to them in life. And it's just so hard because that's, that's important to figure out what we want to do in life. But I guess the other thing that I talk to my kids about is Life is not all about you. Like we, we, I make this decision. I hate waking up early. I can't even tell you how much I dislike waking up early. If I could, I would sleep in until nine thirty or ten every day.
0: We get it. I but, made you wake up
1: early <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I have to. Like that's this thing that I very much don't want to do. But I've agreed to do it. I have to do it because it's one of my responsibilities. And I think we're getting to this point where we're so quickly. Saying, "Hey, if it's something that you don't want to do, don't let anybody make you do it." But I think that that's a dangerous precedent to set because society only works when we all decide to make a little bit of sacrifice on behalf of other people. And so, when we clam up and we say, "Hey, I'm going to focus on me," that's a that's a kind of dangerous route to go down, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, if they're not filling it with something that yeah has some self sacrifice on the yeah. other side. Yep again, this goes back to your purpose again, which is why I love it so much is that we're all in this together. And if you start, if, if everyone starts to set this precedent that we're going to go be selfish and be in it for yourself, then yeah. What does society turn into? Yep. I want to get into Roman history because I know you have a huge passion for that and I can't Mm -hmm. believe it took us 45 minutes to do that, but I'm going to (laughs) ask one other question. Okay. Is as far as just recommendations that you hear in your profession or in teaching what are the bad recommendations you hear
1: do it this way I the i cannot stand the recommendation of do it this way because i that just insinuates that there is a correct way to do everything and i know that like with if i'm doing an ikea furniture piece there is a correct way to do it and i am very very bad at ikea but i just think that all these different teachers like i look at I just talk a lot to my kids. I feel like I know a lot about what, um, what I'm saying. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, I am just GD hilarious. And I can, I can talk to kids. Some people, some teachers suck at talking to kids. And that's totally fine. And they create these awesome lessons, cool simulations, great group projects. And they do whatever they can. And I think that top, those top-down mandates of do it this way is a terrifying notion because that removes people from teaching to their strengths. And I think people should capitalize on the gifts that they have, the talents that they have uh, as a way of reaching kids.
0: That's advice that can go far reaching well beyond just teaching because yeah, you're stifling creativity by trying to standardize something or saying this is the way that we do it. And especially in, in this, this format, because also students learn differently too.
1: Right. Students learn real differently. And if you, if we have a, you're doing it this way, that takes away that, that creative ability to reach that other kid or figure out how to get somebody that knowledge.
0: Yeah. And I, I tell people when they come into an organization, they, they have a fresh perspective and there's going to be people. So you get hired into, you know, a, a hundred thousand person company. You can either just ask for advice and say, hey, how do I fit in here? Or you can realize that you were hired for a reason. You were hired because of your experience and your talent and the way you think about things and go do things a little bit differently. And that's probably going to be uncomfortable because you're not doing things the way that this massive company does it. But if you can think a little bit differently and be okay being a little bit uncomfortable, you'll bring more value that way to the organization than if you were just to... Be another one of the 100,000 and just kind of march along with everyone else. And you'll do fine in the role, but you won't blossom because you're not using your creativity or the talents you have or your own perspective, unique perspective that you brought. And so I always encourage, especially in those first three to six months within a new role, is be okay being different. And challenge things and ask the what you think may be the silly question because you never know what you're going to unearth because you're surrounded with people who have been in the organization for a long time. A lot of them set in their ways, and who are productive employees, but they're going to think about things basically the same way because they're they, they've been there so long. And in order for a company to grow, for a person to grow, you got to have people that think about things differently and do things differently. Because then those could actually be the new standards down the road.
1: Yeah. And I I mean, just think about if I bring, you know, the greatest of all time, Tom Brady onto my football team and tell him, Hey, here's the way that we're going to do it. I hired Tom Brady because he's really, really good at what he, what he does. If you try to make him fit into this system, that's silly. You need to give somebody like him or someone like Peyton this ability to come in and say, Hey, I think we should do this thing on offense because I'm really, really, really good at this. And if we can institute this, I think our team's going to be awesome. All
0: right. I said I was going to bookmark the rigor and responsibility. You mentioned that that's changed over the course of the last decade within high school. So what's changed?
1: Um, I think with the positive increase in focus on kids' mental health has come a pretty negative impact on the rigor that we're allowed to incorporate into our classroom and kind of, I just guess on the note of responsibility, just cutbacks on the amount of homework that we can give kids, uh, and just on giving kids extra, I don't know, extra chances maybe to get things right, and kind of taking away the importance of doing things well when you need to do them. Uh, and it's it's hard because obviously high school is very much about learning; it's about acquiring knowledge, and we don't want to be punitive when kids can't get that knowledge but high school is about way more than just learning roman history or learning econ it's about you know getting ready to actually go out into the world and at some point when you go out into the world getting things right does matter um and if you just keep on being given this extra chance to learn and to do this and do that then you i don't think you develop that i think we're so afraid of pressuring kids too much to the point where it becomes detrimental that we don't pressure kids enough to the point where it's super helpful because pressure is a great thing to make us do better to make us focus in a little bit um and we've removed some of that to this point where it's taking away from how hard some of our classes can be and i I do think that's and when you're talking about some of the things that drive drive teachers crazy um we want to hold these kids responsible and it, it is hard sometimes to not be able to do so.
0: Yeah. Cause in, you know, you get out into life, into your career or whatever you're going to do. You're not always going to get a second chance.
1: You're, no, you're not. And sometimes and you so, do and it, and that's a great thing to be true. able to improve, but sometimes you don't get that second chance.
0: Yeah. And you got to learn how to deal with the negative, with the consequence of that. Cause you're not always like, even you could be the best person in the world, not get a second chance and fail at the first chance. And you got to learn how to deal with it. Like that's okay. That's going to happen.
1: And we have taken, yeah, we, we, that's a huge thing that kids don't get right now is f- learning that failure is very, very okay. And, and we just have removed that and given them all these options to get rid of that fail grade or get it rid of whatever. It's great to get an F in there at some point because getting an F, getting an F year, junior year of high school is something that you can still overcome in your life. But if we remove that ability to overcome that F from that early age, you just never learn how to cope with it. And then when you take that fat F when in your mid 30s, and it results in you know getting a pink slip, that pink slip has far more serious ramifications than an F on a quiz.
0: Yeah, and learning how to deal with that is uh, it's so important. I mean, <laughs> I talk to my five and a half year old about that all the time. He's like, he says that he failed. And I said, that's okay. Like yeah. failure is okay. Failure like, is okay. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Because what does that mean? It means that you had an opportunity to learn. And in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there thinking you had an opportunity to learn when the stakes were basically zero. Right. Which that's when you want to learn. Right. right. If
1: you fail reciting your alphabet before you even get into school, it's okay.
0: Awesome. You are a very passionate history teacher. As I said before, when we were 18, you said this is what you wanted to be teaching and you have a huge passion for it. I mean, we've gone on hikes before where I'm just like, tell me a story from history because I think it's your passion comes through all the time. So I know you have a huge passion, especially for Roman history. What is something most people don't know about the Romans, but you think they should?
1: So I teach an entire class on Roman history about five years or so ago. In, In college, I fell in love with Roman history because of a couple of my professors Got to go to Italy a few times uh, and have just fallen in love with it. So I teach a whole class on it. And I don't know if it's what people don't know as much as what people don't appreciate about Rome. And I think that that is just the longevity of Rome. Like it is, it, it's just impossible to think about how long Rome was. So founded according to myth in 753 BC. And it lasts until the fifth century AD. So you're looking at like a 1,100, 1,200 year span of this group of people maintaining a civilization. And that is so, it's just so hard, I think, to process coming from an America that's 250 or whatever years old, um, just thinking about how long it lasted and what they were able to conquer. and you know, they take over this huge swath of territory that nobody else can overtake. So I just think like the scale of Rome is something that everybody, you know, when I think about the Roman empire, it's like, yeah, that was a, that was pretty cool. But it's like, no, it was really freaking cool and really impressive how much control they're able to maintain over such a huge scale or such a huge region over such a long time. And I think that longevity is something we don't necessarily appreciate as much as as we should.
0: Is there anything comparable in history?
1: No. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, the Mongols take over a huge territory, Alexander takes over a huge territory, but I think that that ability to rule it for, I mean, I guess the Brits, but that ability to maintain so much rule for so long is uniquely Roman.
0: Yeah, five times as long as the US has been around. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's pretty wild. This podcast is all about growth. And so while they did, you know, the ancient Romans were living a long time ago. What lessons can we take from those ancient Romans on growth?
1: <laughs> so that's funny. Um, the Romans have this uh, I guess like not mantra, but this expression that they live by called mos maiorum, which means the way of our forefathers, which is a lot the equivalent of the if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of mentality. Like, we've done this politically for a long time and our republic has functioned for a long time. So because it's a function for a long time because we've done this, make sure that you continue to do it. But at the same time, so they're this very conservative people in that sense. But what's cool about them is that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I guess too often we stop there because if it is broke, we probably ought to fix it. And so the... Thing that I think about with that is that uh, the first Punic War, so the Romans uh, battle the Carthaginians, who are from like modern day Tunisia, uh, in three in three wars, uh, and then the first one, it's fought over the island of Sicily. So it's an island. You're probably going to need a. Uh, it's going to be you know significant naval battles in there, and the Romans don't have really a navy to speak of at the beginning of the first Punic War because up to that point, they're conquering the Italian peninsula. So really all they need is an army and they don't have a Navy. They don't really know what they're doing with that. They find a wrecked ship on the shores. And what's awesome about the Romans is what incredible engineers they were. And so they find this ship called the Quinquereme, and they reverse engineer it. So they take it apart and basically, you know, document where each of these pieces are supposed to go and acquire the, the blueprints for a ship which is awesome, but you think about, hey, I have a ship and we've never sailed before. What the hell am I supposed to do about it? And they get into a naval battle and they just get their asses handed to them because the Carthaginians have developed along that North African coastline. So they have this really impressive navy and they just hand it to the Romans early on. But what's cool about the Romans, and I think a lesson that we can take from them is this like, do the thing that works for you right like take other people's ideas and then sculpt them into your own so that it fits what you're doing and so they have this ship that they don't really know how to use so they put an attachment on it this thing called the corvus or the raven which is like a huge just gangplank i guess up on top of their ships that can rotate 360 degrees and so even though they're not super good at ramming the other team which is how you win in a naval battle up to this point. They know that the enemy is going to try to do the exact same thing. And so as these Carthaginian ships come at them, they can lower, I mean, it's it fast, right? You drop this gangplank on the other ship and it has this huge like, two-foot spike on the end of it that links the two ships together. And the Romans are really, really good at fighting with armies. And so they, they create this bridge between their two ships and they don't have to do naval battle at that point. They get to do army battle which is what they're really, really good at. Uh, And so kind of that most my arm, this if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Our army is very clearly not broke. We can use that. But at the same time, when the situation changes, we have to be willing to adapt. And we don't have to invent everything by ourselves. We can take these cool ideas, this ship that somebody else has come up with, and just modify it a little bit so that we can use it uh, to our advantage.
0: That is really neat. And what time frame was that happening? That's
1: like two... 260s BC is the first Punic War. Uh two, I want to say it's 264 to 241 or something like that. So a a crazy long war um, because you know the Carthaginians aren't stupid and eventually adapt to that Corvus uh, that they that they had to fight against. Uh, but yeah, like mid mid 3rd century BC.
0: Wow, 22, 2300 years ago crazy.
1: They, and the, man, them. they, they add such cool stuff to their ships. Uh, the Romans are, they're, they're so cool in their, in their ability to just create new things that are going to surprise people, but still fighting in, you know, the Roman sort of way.
0: It's very obvious that they had a growth mindset about this is that they could have certainly looked at a, sh- at, at, a naval battle and said, "Oh, yeah, you know, we're going to have a fixed mindset about this. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to do well here. There's no way we don't know how to do this. Instead, they took it upon themselves to figure out, okay, hey, maybe we don't know, but we're going to try and we're going to learn and then we're going to adapt. And, um, you know, it also talks to the concept of kind of being inspired by others instead of threatened by others, right? They could have looked at, you know, the ship and been like, oh, wow, you know, that's, you know, we're threatened by the fact that they, they know how to do this and we're going to go talk about it amongst ourselves and say, gosh, you know, we're threatened by this. Instead, they were kind of inspired Wow, they built a ship. I bet we can build a ship. I bet we can figure this out. And that is just yeah. You you can see why that mindset can help lead to have you know whatever it was thirteen hundred years of twelve hundred years of of rule.
1: First Punic War is one that like everybody knows. The Second Punic War, Second Punic War is where you know Hannibal crosses the Alps with his elephants and wages war in Italy. But the first the First Punic War is a very underrated. I guess as underrated as war can be, war is bad, but it is a very fascinating war.
0: What's one other fun story you got about the Romans? So, Rome starts as a monarchy.
1: It's ruled over by, like legendarily, the seven kings of Rome, and then they eventually oust them and set up the Republic. There are a lot of really cool stories from the early Republic that are kind of this like maybe it happened, maybe it didn't really happen, but they give us these these cool lessons that eventually when Rome is this successful republic that's conquering the Mediterranean. You know, we get to teach our little kids, hey, here are some of our values. And just a couple of them. So like really, really early on, the the last king who they kick out of Rome is a guy named Tarquinius Superbus. But he's trying to make a comeback. And there are some people plotting to let him into this, let him and his army into the city so that he can reestablish himself as the king. And they've just set up this brand new republic. This is the first year of the republic. And the ruler, or one of, he's a co-ruler, finds out about this plot, and they arrest the conspirators and everything, and put him on trial, you know, this is treason against the Republic, the crime for that is death, or the, the punishment for that is death, and they end up executing him, they flog him to death, and what's intense about that story is that the guy who's in charge, he's what's called a consul, that's a Brutus, so the ancestor of the guy who's eventually going to kill uh, Julius Caesar, but he actually, so he orders the execution, and two of the people who get executed are his kids, uh, and he orders his sons to death, and, but the cool part about that and the story that the Romans are trying to teach is that nobody's about the law. Nobody gets to do this thing for their own benefit because society's only going to work if we uphold our laws and if we're, you know, back to Zac Ephron, all in this together sort of thing.
0: Uh, Only you could tie Zach Ephron <laughs> to the ancient Romans. I just love Ephron so much.
1: But but yeah, but it's a it's an important story to be like, hey, you're not above the law. Even if you have power, you have to treat that power with respect. You got to work for the good of the greater group. Uh, and then that so it goes on. So obviously the dude's not happy. Tarquinius is not happy that he doesn't get reinstated. So he launches a campaign against the Romans. And there's a sweet story um, about a guy named Horatius Cocles, who makes an epic stand on this bridge. Basically, the Roman armies start to lose. He falls back to a bridge where, if we've seen, you know, if you've seen 300, right, the bridge is an awesome place to make a stand because it filters the enemy down so that only a few of them can attack you. And basically, this guy Cocles says, "Hey, you start dismantling the bridge. I'm going to hold them off as long as I can," you know, knowing that. The bridge is going to collapse he's going to fall into the water and he's going to die but that there's this greater this greater thing out there than myself that if i can make rome successful uh, then i need to do whatever it is that i can Uh, and he ends up luckily when he falls into the river getting saved by the gods and pushed ashore
0: and was that the fall of the empire
1: no, so that so that is like in the 500s BC. So that's way, way, way early. So that's when the kings. That's yeah. That's when the kings are trying to reestablish themselves. Um, but you know, there's that, and then there's one other story. But they're able to hold the kings off, and that that republic is able to kind of take shape. And so the republic goes from 509 BC until you know, kind of Julius Caesar or Octavian, who becomes Augustus and our first emperor in like 27 BC. So, and that's the, again, that longevity, like America has this functioning Republic for the last couple hundred years. The Roman Republic is 400 years. Like the empire is another 400 years and the monarchy is a couple hundred years, but this Republic, this tough form of government thousands of years ago lasted for a really long time.
0: Yeah, it really did. Wow. Well, knuckle your openness, the look back into high school, and culminating with a history lesson has been awesome. I want to thank you a ton for the time and for being on, man. And uh, just, again, proud to call you a really close friend. Hey, proud to be your friend, dude. So we have Built with David Knockle today. Knockle, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Hey, listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a biweekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.